future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. 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 Welcome back to this week's edition of the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I am Tom Bionic. Yes, you are. <laughs> and it's great to be back with everybody here. We have a new guest and a new week's of show at Future Quake. Uh, we're going to have Sharon and Derek Gilbert from Peering into Darkness Radio. Boy, I tell you, I'm excited about these two folks. Uh, they're they're talking about both their faith and what they've been doing. It's very similar to what we've been doing, really. A very similar show with uh, very similar guests and topics and sort of kindred spirits. And they've been around about as long as we have on radio. And they're going to share a little bit about what some of their insights and perspectives have been. Uh, from s- some other different views within the world of Christianity, yeah, much very, like what we cover here. Very knowledgeable guests all around. Oh, everybody's going to love them, but we need yeah. to hurry and get off here because yep. we've got a lot of information to carry in interviews. So let's no, just jump right in. No further ado, let's uh, get on to our interview with Derek and Sharon Gilbert, and then we'll be right back with our wrap-up on Future Quake. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Future Quake show. This is Dr. Future and Tom Bionic uh, interviewing our guests for this week, Derek and Sharon Gilbert who are the host of the Peering into Darkness radio program and podcast. And we're going to talk about the future of alternative Christian media and world events. And Derek, Sharon, I just want to tell you, it's wonderful to have you on our show tonight. Thank we're you. We're to be here. And it's great we're using uh, a high-tech service through uh, Skype, which it's, is... Uh, uh, it's it's still in test mode, but I'm I'm liking the results. Oh, yeah, it's much better quality than yeah. what we've been doing so far. Yeah. And uh, I want to go out on the record here for our radio listeners and just thank both of you for your advisory row yeah. as we've uh, tried to get a uh, fledgling Future Quake studio uh, here uh, up to speed and sure appreciate your all's contributions to us. Well, you know, we recommended the reclining chairs with uh, <laughs> <laughs> the built-in cup holders. That's really how we've got our studio Cup holders, donut holders. you got to have those. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little side table for snacks. I like the way you guys think. I really, that's, that's a good idea. <laughs> Well, we've been wanting to have you on for a long, long time, and one of the reasons why is that uh, 
if the Future Quake show had a had a cousin show, it would be the Peering in the Darkness show at Pid Radio, because I, as I understand it, you all came on just about a month before Future Quake debuted. I think you all started in March of 2005, mm-hmm. and we began in April 2005. And in fact, we uh, share a lot of common themes and guests uh, that we uh, we've had. In fact, I, I'm uh, not ashamed to admit that I've kept an eye on your uh, show for some interesting guests for us to take a look at on Future Quake. And uh, to just get our discussion started tonight, uh, could you just share with us just a little bit about uh, the background of both of you and how you came to the came came to know the Lord and uh, you know and getting into this particular area? Well, we we come at it from different directions. Actually, uh, my background I was raised uh, going to church every Sunday, but in some very liberal uh, denominations. Um, won't name names, but uh, I, I went through a couple of liberal Protestant denominations, and then actually, uh, in a previous marriage, converted to Roman Catholicism. Uh, so Sharon wow. says, I am a walking, talking uh, proof of uh, predestination, <laughs> if there is such a thing. Um, I think, actually, it was when my, my uh, first marriage broke up that uh, uh, I, I started looking for answers. Because I thought, as uh, a father, I needed to know what it was specifically that I believed in order to properly uh, raise up my daughter uh, in the way she should go. And she was um, uh, with me. I was the primary caregiver for a while, Mr. Mom, for a little while. That was a pretty strong motivation to actually open the Bible after years and years of going to church and read it. And much to my surprise, there were a lot of things in there that I didn't know, uh, things that weren't in there that I had assumed were, and um, was on that journey when uh, Sharon and I met uh, through this uh, wonderful tool called the Internet, actually. And I think through her inspiration, because she truly does inspire me to do more than I would do on my own, um, I really dug deeper into the Word and... um, I guess I inherited a little bit of my dad's engineer brain. I wanted to see the connections and see the evidence and the proof that the New Testament specifically, but the Bible in general, is true as it's written. And uh, after digging into it and really thinking through the the evidence for the truth of the Bible, uh, became convinced that, yeah, this, this really is the most logical explanation for the existence of what we call Christianity today, that the New Testament is true as it's written. Um, and once I, I that hit me, it, it was like flipping a switch. It's like, okay, now I have to do something about that information, because once you understand that Jesus Christ is Lord, then you have to, then you no longer have the excuse of, well, I didn't know. You you have to make a decision, and so that's uh, uh, now. Even though I did confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior when I was um, in the sixth grade, I don't think I really understood what that meant because I spent a lot of years living in a way that didn't differentiate between the the rest of the world. Uh, I was in the world and of the world, um, and I think after that switch was flipped, it was no longer possible to continue down that path. So um, uh, for me, it was a longer journey that took me through a uh, a lot of different uh, uh, things that uh, a, a professing Christian probably shouldn't have been engaged in. Uh, and for me, it was about the evidence. It was about connecting the dots and seeing what picture developed. And I think that Sharon will tell you that's a bit different from her path. 
Mine mm-hmm. is radically different from your path. You know, it's really funny because the two of us represent polar opposites in how we came to know the Lord. And because of that, you, Derek, can, uh, you've answered many, many emails from listeners who, who are, have the same problem you do. They want, they're like Thomas. They want to put their fingers in those holes, in the wounds, mm-hmm. and they want proof. Uh, you're like that. You have that sort of a mind. The Lord made you that way. Uh, I wasn't like that. <laughs> I've never been like that. And so I have a tough time answering an email from a listener who's asking for proofs, even though I'm quite familiar with the Bible. I've been studying it for over 40 years. I, I have a tough time identifying with that sort of questioning because i I honestly think Mike and Tom that I, 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 Dr. Future and Tom, that I came to know the Lord probably when I was three or four years old, but I didn't walk the aisle, so to speak, until I was nine. From my earliest memory, I can remember talking to the Lord. And um, just, I, I mean, I remember lying in my bed or on a, you know, a hillside in the backyard and literally talking to the Lord. And I could almost audibly hear him talking back and from the earliest age uh, I know that one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is faith and we all have faith but for whatever reason the Lord just heaped it on me from the time I was really young and so I I mean I was screaming every Sunday in church please let me go down the aisle today and my parents would always say no you're not old enough they didn't want me to make a decision they didn't think I knew what I was doing but in fact I, I really did know. And so finally when I was nine, I got to go forward. And uh, I've, I've had an up and down, uphill and downhill sort of uh, uh, journey since then. When I wandered off the path for a bit in my teen years, and I think a lot of us do that, that the Lord has very graciously and lovingly stood there on the path waiting for me to come back. And when I finally did, boy, I'll tell you what, he's led me to the greatest husband in the whole wide world. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I see you all as a, a type of first family of alternative Christian radio. And, uh, <laughs> We're the mom and dad. Yeah. Oh, wow. Ozzie and Harry. Uh, seriously. Like the Carter family of, of, of Internet radio, yeah. Uh, seriously, um, you all have really changed the face of uh, Internet radio, uh, and particularly from the Christian realm. I'd like to know, and I'm sure our listeners would like to know, how did you decide to enter the world of radio, and in particular Internet radio, and what kind of uh, mission do you have and do you seek to accomplish with your show? Well, I'll start off on that one. Um, We got into Internet radio just sort of as as a necessity because uh, back in in December of – was it? No, November of 2002. Mm-hmm. It was 2002, yeah, tickety-two. right? tickety-two. <laughs> tickety-two. That uh, I got involved, and Derek got involved, in the National Novel Writing Month competition. It's NaNoWriMo, and it's every November. You have the 30 days of November to write an entire novel. You have to write at least 50,000 words. And he and I both got involved in that. I finished the book. He, he finished his a little while later. But, uh, I, you know, it's, I've been writing since gosh, as long as I can remember it, <clears throat> for whatever reason, I decided to write a novel that really seemed inspired by the Lord, or at least, you know, I thought so at the time, and and when it was all done and edited, I thought, you know, I'm going to send this off, and lo and behold, I found a publisher, and uh, 
the publisher very quickly said, well, we're going to get your book up and running, and, and we want you to have a website. We need to find ways to help, help you publicize yourselves. Uh, maybe we ought to do some TV shows. And Derek, whose background is radio, said, no, maybe we ought to do radio. And, of course, he and I are both super geeks, and I'm going to let you take the story from there. <laughs> and it was, uh, so it was the spring of 2003 then, and, uh, well, gosh, was it? No, it was, it was 2004, because the book actually came out right. in 2004. Right. So uh, It takes a while to get a book off the ground. Right. Uh, and, actually, that process was very quick compared to the way uh, Many it times it's two or many. three years. Sure. Yeah. So anyway, the fall of uh, 04, early uh, 2005, um, we were looking for a way to use the tools that we had available to us um, in, in order to market the books, to try to promote ourselves and promote the novels. Well, we kept having this back-and-forth battle with the publisher. Well, we want you to do you know, television mm-hmm. programs, and we'll have you come out here to California, and we'll, we'll film you doing this and that. Well... Derek had a full-time job, and, and we couldn't afford to fly to California, and we just kept saying, that's a lot of money, and we don't really see that that's going to get a whole lot of attention anyway. Right. Uh, television and uh, ter- terrestrial broadcasters, television and radio, for the most part, are geographically limited. But the Internet is not. The Internet is global. And it was in the fall of 2004 that Adam Curry, the former MTV video jock, VJ, and a fellow named Dave Weiner, developed the code that uh, now is um, uh, that became the backbone of uh, uh, the the podcasting code uh, basically it's a means by which you you uh, can syndicate through the internet uh, the information needed for other software uh, like iTunes or or other uh, podcasting or pod catching uh, programs to find audio or video now, clips, and automatically download them to a computer. And it occurred to us as we researched this that this was a uh, means by which somebody with a computer, because most computers have have enough capability, processing power, to record audio and to uh, produce MP3 files. You You don't need to go out and buy software for it, especially if you've got a Mac, but that's another story. But no, you can, there are free tools available that you can download on the internet for Mac or Windows or Linux or whatever that will allow you to produce a basic uh, audio file. But this was late 2004, early 2005 that you and I started researching this, mm-hmm. and it took us a couple of months before we figured out how to do it. Right. Uh, mm. Even though both of us are kind of geeky, neither one of us is what you'd call a code monkey. There weren't so. really simple sure. instructions out there. They were right. all very complicated. And almost always at the end, the person writing the how-to guide would say, and inevitably this doesn't all work all that well anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, in computer world, that was like a millennium ago. Exactly. This was a stone age ago. It right. really, really was. And, and yet it's only, you know, three, four years ago. Yep. And uh, now there are a number of places where you can go to a website and actually click a button on the website and have it record via the Internet onto this website and have it automatically upload and save and, and uh, uh, syndicate the code that you need. So it's th- there are tools now that are much simpler than they were then. Well, in fact, the but way we ended up doing the first, I don't know how many shows, dozen or two dozen shows, was through our digital video camera. It, it was a way that we finally thought, well, none of these how-tos are working out for us, and we don't want to buy all that equipment and mm-hmm. download all that software. That's not for Macs anyway. So 
Let's do it this way. Right. And we invented our own way. Right. We uh, mm. discovered that Macintosh computers don't have a... Uh, uh, you, you can't plug your typical uh, headset microphone, like for, for PC gamers, into a Mac and have it record the audio. Uh, because Macs mm-hmm. need a, a preamp, preamp yeah. and, which means you need a mixer, a mixing console of some mm. kind, which we didn't have. So we, we looked around at what we had and discovered that the digital camera we had... Um, had microphone inputs, and it had a powered output that we could run into the mm. line in on the Mac. So we were actually mm. recording through our video camera. And the I'm uh. <laughs> Yes, and, and we actually had to record the, uh, I'd forgotten that, we actually had to record the video into iMovie. So there was this extraneous mm. video of the carpet or wherever, yeah. wherever the camera had to get That might be a collector's item today. Yeah. You don't know. There's something surreal. People... People probably presume that was part of the story, you know, and are probably still debating today what the significance of that video was. With the so so so, bottom line is you began the show to to promote your books and and related topics, but then you started branching out on all sorts of very very interesting guests. Correct? You know, it only took one show for us to realize. Well, we're done on that. <laughs> that was only fifteen minutes, and I think. Gosh, who was our first guest? Was it uh, our first guest? Nyman? I believe no. Henry I, Nyman. I, th- I think our first guest was actually another author. It was uh, James Rollins. He was one of our early guests, but I think Henry Nyman was was mm. may have been before him. Now, is this where is this where you have one of those husband and wife arguments going back and forth? No, we actually we actually don't have very many of those. <laughs> we I tell you what, I can count on one hand the number of times we've argued in ten years. Is that right? Oh. Yeah. Well, yeah. now you can, I mean, add, you can add the uh, Future Quake show for one of your disagreements. <laughs> <laughs> add that to the list. Um, well, you I know, Derek may well be right. It, Honestly, I think it was Guy Malone, actually. I think it was Guy Malone from you know, uh, Roswell. I, I think you're right. Yeah. Guy Guy Malone. You are right. Uh, and we were so excited when we got the first dozen downloads. So Guy like, Malone, <laughs> who is a very, very unique Christian yeah. and somebody who we hope to have on our show in the future, uh, who just also happens to be known as the Alien Stranger, and yeah. has a tremendous personality and a, and a very unique walk that he's given. And I found that people like that were, were people that uh, tended to gravitate as guests, very, very interesting people to your show. Um, but how did your mission grow and evolve? You've stayed with us for years. You've obviously uh, uh, done very well in, in promoting your books and other activities. But your mission now has grown into something much larger than that. How would you describe why you've been on the air this long, and, and why do you keep doing it? What is the, your main mission and purpose in, in uh, gathering information and sharing it to your large body of listeners now? You know what? We left off um, promoting our books, so to speak, long ago because the Lord made it very clear to us that that's not why we really are doing this. And and in some ways, we sometimes sit and we have this conversation, okay, it, uh, is it a chicken and egg? The book's gave birth to the the radio show but which one is is the one that was really the goal is it to write the books or was it the radio show all along and sometimes i think maybe the whole point was to get us to do the radio show Mm -hmm. but uh we just you know we we very quickly realized that the lord has this tremendous virtual network of people who are just a little bit off the beaten path. They don't quite fit in with the typical, you know, church congregation. They're not the regular conventional Christians like Dr. Future and Tom Bionic. You oh, mean. yeah. Yes. Oh, so conventional. <laughs> the regular white oh. bread mashed potato guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like mashed potatoes. 
<laughs> but not white bread. You got to have biscuits with mashed no, potatoes. No, I don't like white bread actually. Oh, but I, I think Sharon's exactly writing right. Writing that down. It, uh, <laughs> it 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 really dawned on us after that first show that the reason that we had written the books and the reason that we had pitched the uh, the series that we did to the publisher, which was uh, I, I think best described as uh, uh, conspiracy Christian fiction, if there is such a thing. Uh, was because we, we see that there are things happening in this world that don't fit the, contempor- the, the conventional Christian worldview, which means there's something wrong with it. Because if, if you're a Christian, your worldview should explain everything that's happening in the world out there. And there are things out there that can only be described as paranormal, well, guess what? If you claim to believe in the, a, 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 an omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent uh, God, you believe in the paranormal. And mm-hmm. yet, if you put it that way to most Christians, I, I dare say they would uh, disagree or perhaps even be offended because we're not supposed to believe in things like UFOs and aliens and ghosts and you know demonic possession. Well... That happened in the apostolic age, but it doesn't really happen anymore. Not since we discovered psychology. Um, <laughs> and so we, we just felt that uh, rather than use the, the podcast as a means to uh, promote the books, uh, that perhaps we should devote the podcast to discussing the things that motivate us to write. And I think the show just sort of developed organically from there. Um, and we started getting guest after guest who would recommend somebody else, who mm-hmm. knew somebody else, and, and a kind of, well, you know what it's like. I'm sure that you have the same thing. Mm-hmm. That it's almost a like a little right, it's, it's like a little rat pack, almost. You know People what? That that's <laughs> Can we sing? Can we you know, do some Sinatra tunes? <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, it goes from there, and it's amazing to me how... Many people write to us, and honestly, we've got a lot of uh, listeners who aren't Christians. We've got a lot of New Age listeners and people from all kinds of different religious backgrounds, some who are atheists, and they all listen. And they're all hearing the gospel message, whether they like it or not. Mm -hmm. Right. And, uh, yeah, we've experienced the same thing, too. In fact, they're actually shocked to come across Christians who are intellectuals that don't bury their head in the sand over certain issues who uh, challenge their faith in light of things we see around us. And, uh, in fact, they're quite relieved. Uh, that's the experience I've found to find Christians, and they're much more interested in talking about other things of faith once they've found the kind of Christians that they can respect. Well, and that's it. Jesus never told us we were supposed to take a club to pe- the heads of people who disagreed with us. Uh, we're commanded in Scripture, in fact, to treat people who disagree with uh, gentleness and respect. We're supposed to be ready to give uh, the reasons for our faith, but not to do so at the point of a gun or point of a sword. And that is, uh, in fact, we've had a number of discussions about that very belief, uh, dominionism, with uh, people like Tom Horn, who's very, very strong, uh, very emotional about that, because he saw uh, it uh, when it began to creep into mainstream evangelical Christianity back in the 70s and 80s, and he was very much opposed to it then. In fact, um, if I remember, Tom tells the story about giving a speech on that topic before the National Association of Religious Broadcasters 
Uh, and of course, he's never been invited back. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. That that is a risk that that you take. Uh, you you wind up. Uh, I don't know if alienating is the right word, but uh, you you wind up out of step with uh, mainstream Christianity. But mainstream Christianity in the United States, I think, is out of step with the gospel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. I'll, speaking personally, I became a Christian five or six years ago, and I look back on my experience, and I think, you know, I probably would have come sooner had it not been for the experiences that I had with other well-meaning but perhaps maybe misaligned Christians, you know? And it's just, I, I see that happening. Instead of less and less, I seem to see that happening more and more, you know? Where Christians believe that uh, the way to serve God is by voting Jesus into the White House so that we get the right justices appointed to the Supreme Court. And then we carry the gospel message across the ocean, uh, you know, against... Yeah, at the at the point of a gun. Point yeah, of a gun. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, and I think uh, this does two things. Number one, it distracts believers from the true mission, which is to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth, not to um, spread democracy to the ends of the earth. That was never, never a scriptural command. Uh, secondly, it um, and this is something that uh, our friend Dave Duncan um, talked about a, a number of times. It, it is setting up a backlash ultimately against. Christians of all stripes as the world looks at us and blames us for what is being done in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, It's almost a a second wave of crusades. And I'm sure you've encountered uh, skeptics who will point to the crusades and say, well, see, more deaths have occurred in the name of religion than anything else in history, which is untrue, first of all. But secondly, it... uh, it's really uh, inaccurate because Jesus, again, never said, go out and convert the world at the point of a sword. Those who are killing and murdering in the name of Jesus Christ are no more Christians than I am a professional baseball player when I put on my Cubs cap. I think you are. <laughs> See, you've got that good support there. Yes. I know Tom would support me if I said the same thing. I will say this. If the Cubs are looking for an overweight, out-of-shape, 46-year-old third baseman, I'm their man. Oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's why it's really great that Tom and I have the support of a uh, over-the-airwaves uh, religious broadcaster that uh, allows us to reach a traditional audience because... Uh, you know, the, the kind of things that we're talking about here, the kind of topics you cover, the kind of future quake covers, are a minority of uh, evangelical-type Christianity. But they're very, very, they're very important. And they're, yeah, and they they're growing. they should be sidestepped. They're growing. And uh, what you all have done with your radio show is staked out a major foothold within Internet radio, which is growing and starting to become a major portion of communications right now. Um, but... Uh, you know, we, we've had opportunities now to reach other people, including our people listening here today, that realize there are other voices and other topics uh, than what they may have traditionally heard on other Christian shows. And uh, that's why it's, it's been wonderful to have you on, is to be able to expose other people uh, to, the, to the kind of topics and guests that you have. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to share about why you think uh, it's important that Christians seek out the kind of unique information and perspectives covered in a show like yours? And... Um, how do you think you dovetail or fit in amongst more mainstream Christian radio shows? <laughs> we don't. <laughs> but you know what? It is so important for Christians to address these topics because they are going to, whether they like it or not, 
they're going to have to rationalize it at some point. Because the truth is that I, we believe, at least I, I won't speak necessarily for you, but I personally believe that the strong delusion may well be a UFO deception in the very mm. last days. Mm. And if you are standing there and you are not quite a committed Christian or you've been thinking about becoming, becoming a Christian or you are a Christian and, and that we're still here on this earth and the rapture hasn't happened when that strong delusion begins, you may find yourself, well, in a boat without a paddle because suddenly you won't have your grounding anymore. You know, what the preacher told you suddenly won't feel right because you don't know how to explain aliens and spaceships in the light of Scripture. But the truth is, it's all there. Everything that we see on the news can be explained, can be dealt with, can be, uh, well, can, can be lived with according to Scripture. The, the Lord has provided all the answers there. You just have to know where to find it, and you've got to read the book. And uh, and whether you believe in UFOs or whether that is the ultimate uh, great, you know, great delusion that, it, that is coming, uh, the bottom line is that Paul knew what he was writing about in Ephesians 6.12 when he said, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We're wrestling against, our struggle is with, uh, intelligent evil, powers, principalities, the rulers of the spiritual darkness of this world. He wasn't using an he wasn't uh, uh, being allegorical he wasn't making uh, a, you know a, a speaking metaphorically or symbolically he was talking about literal intelligent evil entities mm -hmm. that are at work in this time space continuum uh, there's a great line from a movie that's one of our favorites secular movie we do watch those oh lots uh, of them but uh, there is a line in the movie, The Usual Suspects, which I think is brilliant, in which the, uh, the antagonist character, Verbal Kent, says, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing mankind he doesn't exist. Sadly, too many Christians have been convinced that Satan is nothing more than a metaphor for our own evil. No, mm -hmm. intelligent evil exists. He's real. Yeah. And we need to deal with it. And it takes many forms. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, you've discussed a little bit about the paranormal, which is definitely one aspect that's not discussed. Uh, however, you'll find that uh, very, very popular uh, secular radio shows like Coast to Coast has mm -hmm. a large number of Christian listeners, and there's a thirst for them to talk about these topics, and they're somewhat limited in what they're allowed to talk with a Christian worldview there, although they're given uh, a, a very reasonable forum by which to uh, talk about things in, in a Christian forum occasionally. But uh, th there's a thirst there. But there's other things going on, particularly when, when you look at an end-time prophetic scenario regarding not just the paranormal, but amongst men and organizations we have today where principalities and powers and high places are influencing uh, organizations and groups in our own government and, and other groups of influence as well, too. And these are things that need to be talked out as well, too, from a biblical worldview. And I know you all cover this as well with some of your guests. Oh, we talk about that kind of stuff a lot. You're, you're talking about the Illuminati, the Bilderbergs, uh, the Freemasons, yeah, Bohemian Council on Foreign Relations, yeah. the Bohemian Group, yeah, all of that stuff. It's all part. It's the human face of the supernatural warfare. And and the Bible will actually provide insight to suggest and to expect these kind of things to occur in the last days. Uh, it provides clear indications. Uh, you know, going back to the paranormal side again and how it dovetails into it. Uh, I had a huge experience that impacted me right about the time the future quake started. I went to uh, a conference that Guy Malone was hosting in Roswell called the Ancient of Days Conference. 
that talked about this this whole rise in sightings of UFOs uh, in light of Scripture and in light of uh, what the Bible had to say about the last days and how I could explain it. And what I found there was a whole lot more than uh, some extra-biblical discussion from some very unique people about uh, looking at these events, uh, current world events in light of Scripture. What I found were people that were truly dedicated to the Lord and had a very close relationship uh, with the Lord, but also through their uh, particular understandings of what Scripture had to say on this, I learned more about God in general. I learned more about uh, His desire to protect us and protect the bloodline uh, of Christ as our kinsman redeemer. I learned how how God went to great efforts throughout the Old Testament to preserve uh, the capability for a kinsman redeemer through Christ to come, and how how our Heavenly Father's gotten a bad rap many times in history, whether it's through the flood or, or things that happened in Canaan. When, in fact, if you have a more enlightened view about things of Scripture, uh, you're able to understand that even more so that we have an extremely loving God that wishes that no one should perish. So well, I, I've grown much more than just in my general knowledge base about these areas. I've grown to understand who God is. Absolutely. Mike Heiser, Dr. Michael Heiser, uh, has uh, really devoted a lot of his research into uh, what he calls remythologizing the Bible. Um, and basically what he's doing is trying to put back into the Bible the, the the spiritual war that Paul writes about in, in Ephesians and elsewhere in the New Testament uh, back into the Old Testament. So we understand that the um, history of the Hebrews and the Israelites is really a history of the fallen sons of God, B'nai Elohim, trying to wipe out the bloodline through which our kinsman redeemer would come. And mm. once you understand that, once you understand that essentially it's the 70 fallen B'nai Elohim, trying to wipe out the Israelites, the Hebrews, and God intervening supernaturally to protect that bloodline, the history of the Old Testament makes so much more sense. In fact, Mike has even gone to the point, gone so far as to um, uh, outline and chart and map the conquest of Canaan by Joshua and the Hebrews. And really? Then, and then matches that up against the location of the giants that are recorded in uh, in uh, Deuteronomy and, and Joshua and so forth, you know the, the other names by which they're known, like the Zamzumim and, and, and so forth. And I can't remember the others, but uh, right. essentially, when you chart it out and then you look linguistically at the tribes that were being wiped out, he shows that it was a war of conquest against the remaining giants in the land. And and there's really right wow. And there's very few shows that talk about these kind of topics, but, uh, and I know you understand this, uh, Derek and Sharon, is that when you start understanding these things, we now have answers when people are skeptical of God and say, well, look at all the people that God killed in the Old Testament, in the flood, or, or in Canaan, or whatever, and now we have a clear understanding that God was working an act of compassion for all mankind. We understand why uh, sexual purity and uh, things like bestiality and other things were, were were such grievous type things because we understand terrible things were afoot that could really hurt mankind. And we can't really go into all that uh, today. But uh, it's just an example of the kind of things that I found the open dialogue that we're now having. And I just like to mention Dr. Heiser, who I hope we can have back. We haven't had him back since the early days. That sounds like an awfully good guest right there. Dr. Heiser is extremely well credentialed, a professor of theology. Plus, he has a new book that he's going to be. When is that coming out? Uh, I don't know. I, don't, I know he's working on a book right now that uh, is aimed at lay people, 
which goes back and explains all of this uh, in layman's terms called The Myth That Is True. He's got a working draft that he's kind of distributing around to uh, some people that subscribe to his newsletter and, and so forth. And uh, we've been blessed to you know, read some of the, uh, the work in progress. Um, but uh, you're right. He's credentialed, and he's one of the few scholars who has earned the respect, I think, of secular uh, critics who understand that, yeah, this is a guy who's done his research. He's not making assertions um, based on his own personal prejudices. This is a guy who's only going where the evidence leads, and that's why he keeps getting back on the Coast to Coast AM. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. He's also a specialist in those local languages, right. in uh, uh, Aramaic and Ugaritic and he mm -hmm. ancient Hebrew and Greek and all, all those Egyptian, things I can't yeah. speak. And he knows mm -hmm. the history of the area. He knows the uh, the well, all of the little idiosyncrasies that would work into translating a given passage of scripture correctly, and you know he's brought all of that to the table in the books, the, the books he's written, and I've I've learned a ton from Mike Kaiser, and it's helped me. You know, I, I had the blessing of growing up in a church that taught a lot of this stuff anyway when I was a kid growing up. So I I sort of started off running, you know, when, where Derek you know had to catch up, but trust me, he passed me long ago. Yeah. But um, if you take a look, it's really easy to say, well, God, you know, he was hateful. He was killing people off. How dare he bring that flood? Those people had, you could say, almost a thousand years lead time. Mm -hmm. Because Methuselah's name means when he dies, the end comes. Mm -hmm. Right. So well, the day it, Methuselah died is the day it started raining. And, and Noah had a hundred years warning. So he was preaching for a hundred years while he was building the boat. Right. So it wasn't like it was, you know, one day Noah starts building a boat. Two weeks later, you know, after some HGTV crew comes in and helps him build the boat, mm -hmm. all of a sudden it's raining and everybody gets killed. Mm -hmm. But God, as well, Derek said, he was doing it out of compassion because Noah was the only one who genetically was unsullied. Yeah, perfect in his generations. Right. Yeah, there's some other things I want to talk about. I don't want to just focus on this one topic, but uh, back to Dr. Heiser again. He's just an example of the, of the kind of typical guests that we would have on Future Quake or on your show that uh, can very powerfully and effectively contend for the faith on Mars Hill amongst secular yes. people. They're uh, very, mm -hmm. very effective in uh, defending the gospel and has answers that people are looking for that other people have not heard in their churches as well. And it's not only been enlightening to me, but people who are just curious about Christianity and wonder about how do they address these very, very tough issues. And, in fact, I was so challenged when I came back from uh, this Roswell Bible Conference. Uh, it was actually held during the UFO, UFO Festival back in 2005. I met so many incredibly intelligent, enlightened Christian brothers and sisters that I began to think about uh, the prophecy of Joel, about in the last days that uh, men would see dreams and visions, and that in the end of Daniel, when it says in the last days, knowledge would greatly increase. And I, I just often wondered if, in fact, we're just seeing something akin to the days of the wise men at the first advent of Christ that uh, there, there are all these people who are rising with fresh understandings of Scripture. Uh, you know, this happened at the time when, when Christ first appeared on earth. And in, in time for a second advent, people are having clear understandings now of interpreting what's going on in the world from an end times perspective. You know, I absolutely agree with you. I really do. When you take a look at the book of Revelation, there's a phrase that is repeated over and over again by Christ, and it's those who have ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. Back then, 
And even today in many churches, like the Catholic Church, back then scripture tended to be read. You didn't have a Bible that you brought with you or a bunch of scrolls that you brought with you and you sat reading along with the speaker. It was generally you heard it. And I believe what he's saying is there are some people who are going to get it right away. And other people may have to gain those ears to hear. And I think that what we're seeing in these last days is that more and more people are getting it. What's interesting, though, is that some of the most creative and, I think, insightful uh, study and writing that's being done in terms of end times prophecy and understanding prophecy is being done by independent uh, writers and thinkers, guys who aren't being published by the major Christian publishing houses, people like David Lowe, Peter Goodgame, Patrick Heron, um, even guys like Mike Heiser, Guy Malone, people, uh, Lynn Marzulli. And to a certain uh, extent, these guys are marginalized. They're, they're marginalized. They're not finding major publishing houses. They're not being invited to, in fact, in some cases, they're, uh, uh, they and people who try to discuss their work are being kicked off of the uh, of some major uh, Christian forums, forums yeah. uh, because they don't conform mm-hmm. to uh, traditional Christian uh, end time uh, theory. So, and, and that's why we need our regular listeners to yeah. provide positive feedback, uh, whether it's to book publishers or to radio stations you're hearing carrying shows like this. To to or say even hey W E N O yeah there's, there's <laughs> audiences there's audience out there that wants to hear and understand these kind of things and, and hear from them and uh, that's why we we really need to support uh, people who are getting this message out and uh, you know take it forward hey I want to ask you something real quick about your show um, can you share with us uh, some of your more memorable moments on the show since you've been on air or or some provocative comments that have been made on the air by some of your guests. <laughs> I'll tell you what, one of my favorite favorite moments was, uh, I think it was when you were just giving the the email address one time, and I didn't quite hear the R and peering, (laughs) 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 and I even said something to you about, you know, not quite hearing it and we got an email from Tom Horn shortly after that and he said my wife and I were listening to that and we almost drove off the road <laughs> we were laughing so hard uh, doing uh, what in the darkness uh, well at least it wasn't as bad as uh, what's happened on Future Quake in the past and this was uh, b- before Tom yeah, Biotic the, uh, uh, a, a previous uh, co-host of mine uh, uh, added his two cents. I was uh, in the middle of speaking during a show live, uh, broadcast live, and I heard a, f- a funny sound on the radio, and I looked over, and he was sound asleep and snoring into the microphone. <laughs> oh, my gosh. While I was talking. So, you know, that that's the effect I have on people, even in studio. You know what, something that, a lot, seriously, something that did happen to us when Derek and I, Derek used to have a show that he did at a terrestrial radio station back in, as opposed to extraterrestrial, right, yes. back in Missouri. And uh, he and I were, uh, he was kicking off what he called Off-Road Friday, and I went in there for the first one just to sort of, you know, prime the pump, so to speak, just in case he didn't get any callers. Well, he got tons of them, it turned out. But while we were sitting in there, we were talking about ghosts in Missouri, and this banging on the wall that we to this day don't know what caused it right. started happening. Yeah, Go I forgot, I forgot about that because the uh, there was a, there were several very loud thumps on the wall, but the uh, point in the wall at which the noise was uh, was originating 
was the wall between the talk studio for our station and the studio for our for our sister sports talk station. And oh. the host uh, who was on the air in there heard the thumps too and had no clue as to what would have happened. I mean, he wasn't uh, clearly he wasn't taking time out from his own show and, and taking his own. He calls. just assumed that we had hit the he wall. He thought or we had hit the wall. We thought he'd hit the wall. Um, it wasn't on the roof because there was a second floor above our. Uh, right. Uh, no, there wasn't either. But mm-hmm. there, but there was nobody on the but roof. It, it was a flat roof. Sen- it was no, there was a the second wall. floor above us, but it definitely sounded like it was coming from that wall. Yeah. And and your producer at the time just about freaked out. Yeah, a, a young man who was a, f- a college junior at the time, and he was you know just really really spooked. His eyes were as big as saucers on most of the off-road mm. Friday shows we did, especially when we had uh, you know the demonologists on and the, uh, had uh, Russ Dizdar a. Uh, uh, deliverance minister on, and uh, so we get to talking about demons and demonic possession and things like that, and he just would tend to freak out. But this, as we were talking about ghosts, um, really spooked him in a in a, in a oh. big way. It, now it didn't bother us because we thought, well, if this is the worst the enemy can throw at us, then uh, that's right. That's just yeah. sour grapes. Uh, what about guests? What about any provocative comments any of your guests have made, where you just sort of sit back in your chair and said, "Oh my goodness." One of the things that really struck me as being a very bold statement, and I mentioned earlier that Tom Horn, um, who's the uh, the publisher of Raiders News Update, uh, Raiders News Network, and uh, is now into is is the man behind Anomalous Publishing. Um, he, I mentioned earlier that he was very emotional when talking about Dominionism, which he calls a heresy, flat out a heresy. When wow. he, when he said that. Not not only did he consider dominionism a heresy, he considers it the means by which the Antichrist will be reintroduced, will be introduced to the world, and, he said, accepted with open arms by many professing Christians. Well, that's pretty provocative, yeah. <laughs> it, it really is, but you know what? Once you take that statement and start doing the research uh, with that in mind, it's amazing. I, I've, I've come to... To agree with Tom on that. Yeah, it was uh, that was kind of a, a jaw-dropping moment because that's pretty bold, and you can understand now why he's not invited to speak before the National Association mm-hmm. of Religious Broadcasters anymore. Wow. Well, from th- those of our listeners who are not familiar, those some of those topics because that word is probably not brought up very often on a lot of traditional Christian radio stations. Can you explain I, a little bit how an average listener here can can understand dominionism and how it makes itself manifest uh, amongst groups they may be familiar with? In its most extreme form, dominionists believe that we literally have to retake the world for Christ in order to make it possible for Jesus Christ to return. Okay? You can see where that is, in fact, heretical, because it puts the power for the second coming in the hands of you and I as Christians. That is nowhere in Scripture. Now, that's the most extreme form. Um, It is watered down and diluted a bit and fed to us as, uh, well, essentially a uh, form of patriotism. Mm -hmm. God bless America. And and we we need to protect ourselves against those radical uh, Islamists who want to who want to uh, take down our way of life. They hate us because we're free. And, and, and again, it's very easy once you start down that path I, I think, to take it to its extreme. I think one way to just really very get short definition is dominionism is converting the world, starting with the governments first. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they take the Great Commission as, in its purest form, Dominionism takes the Great Commission to preach uh, to all the nations as literally going to the heads of the nations and starting there. Mm-hmm. It's the trickle-down theory of, of evangelism. It, it, we but there cr- are a lot of parts in Dominionism and, and groups that call themselves Dominionists that have very heretical theology that is mm-hmm. out-and-out New Age Theology. But a lot of these groups are very, very popular groups and are well-known in Christian radio. You know, I hate to say this, but I have this rule of thumb that if something that calls itself Christian is extremely popular with the world, then I have it's to stop not. and ask what is going on here because <laughs> right. Jesus was not popular. Right. Uh, and, and Sharon mentioned the New Age uh, aspect of Dominionist theology. And a lot of listeners may say, well, I can't see how that could possibly be. Well, here it is. It's all about creating a literal heaven here on earth, a physical heaven on earth, and creating it with our hands, through our own works. Literally believing Jesus Christ cannot return until they've done that. Right. It's almost like a form of amillennialism, in a sense, that the church becomes a preeminent force. You know, in in that way of looking at it, it it can be viewed that way. It's very works-based. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that is ultimately where the uh, you, you find the intersection between the New Age and evangelical Christianity, which, in my opinion, is one of the biggest threats to the church today. Mm-hmm. It feels good. It feels right. It feels like that, you know, you're doing your part for Jesus Christ. I mean, he's done so much for me. Now I'm going to go do this for him. I'm going to reclaim the culture for mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. I'm going to reclaim politics for Jesus Christ. Well, they put the cult back in culture as far as I'm concerned because a lot of these organizations <laughs> <laughs> a lot of these organizations are participating in well, I won't name any names, but they're participating in events that get all the church people involved in the same study at the same time. And it's it's creating a groupthink sort of philosophy that we have to all behave in this way, and it's this way according to the Flavor of the Month preacher who's written the books. Um, I think that's extremely dangerous because a lot of the stuff taught in those books is not biblically based, and sometimes the scriptures that are quoted aren't even really good scriptures. I mean, they're not Nancy Pelosi bad, but they're pretty (laughs) close and uh, you you end up with congregations that no longer really know what is being taught in the Scripture. They no longer really know what Jesus Christ did at Calvary. The blood is taken out of these preaching mm-hmm. churches. Uh, the, the, the real gist of the gospel is being removed, and it's becoming a political movement. And I think one of the biggest things that scares me is that there is now a philosophy that's being called the paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. Church that shift. The yes. church shift right. that is supposed to take place this summer. It's a thinking shift. We're all supposed to shift together. Yeah. That sounds pretty darn new age to me. We need to change the way we do Christianity. We need to shift our mode of thinking. And shift is a term that, again, is being used by the new age. Another point of contact between evangelical Christianity and the new age. And some of these churches are teaching yoga techniques. Like, mm-hmm. Hello? To little kids. Oh, yeah. There are plenty of churches out there. When you go through they well, come on. It's just a form of exercise and relaxation. No, it's a form of opening your spirit 
to outside influence. And we're not talking about the influence of the teacher in the room. We're talking about the powers, the principalities, the rulers of the spiritual darkness of this world, the entities that are there to influence us, to deceive us, and to distract us from what Christ told us was our mission on this earth, mm -hmm. earth, which is to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. And that's Not, what it all mm. comes down to. Right. We have to be aware mm. of that spiritual battle going on. Otherwise, we are so easily deceived. Exactly, exactly. And again, it sounds really enticing. It sounds right when we have a preacher telling us that Jesus would want us to vote for candidate A over candidate B because he believes the right things. That Jesus would want us to uh, go see certain movies or support certain publishing houses because, or su certain musical acts because they're you know Christian and therefore somehow safe. He or had approved. that Christian in quoting marks, by the way. Yeah, you, you can't see the air quotes. That's the one drawback of the audio medium. But uh, that's not in the Bible. We're not supposed to reclaim the culture. We're not supposed to... Uh, uh, it, it turn this into a literal heaven on earth. We're not supposed. That was not our, our command from Jesus Christ. And and again, it is a uh, that that is the the heart of dominionism. But it's also the common thread that links it, ties it to new age philosophies, new age beliefs. This is why we don't yeah. fit in with anybody. <laughs> yeah. We've been so, in with you guys and a few others, but that's it. You, you said enough to be able to alienate at least everyone, yeah. at least with something. Yeah. I think so. Well, yeah. well you know, I guess the way I would uh, I, I would summarize it is that uh, across the breadth of evangelical Christianity, you have some in our family who maybe are, are more toward the charismatic end of the spectrum, and I'm, I'm calling them all one big family here, but those who seek a more experiential Christianity, and some of the biggest hazards they face in, the, in an inward mystical Christianity is to make sure everything stays biblically based and, and mm -hmm. within biblical guidelines and that other new age or other kind of thinking does not merge in as a counterfeit of a genuine uh, scriptural experience uh, with God. And then you have others, and the other, some other dimension of uh, our, our Christian walk, who uh, take another route, they take the more uh, earthly, pragmatic approach, like you said, uh, through politics or whatever, to try to strong-arm and bring the, bring the kingdom by force, uh, by co-opting politicians to try to uh, legislate morality uh, and to try to make this happen. And what I've seen, unfortunately, is that even though they may be well-meaning, rather than, than they controlling politicians, I found the politicians tend to control them. And so the corruption goes in the other direction. And those are some of the challenges I think we faced as a, as a family and a church body. Well, we were as Christians, and we saw this at the booksellers convention that we attended uh, several years back in the course of you know, trying to promote the books, that we as Christians were, uh, we, we were courted by one of the major political parties. We were told that the, the candidate for president was one of ours because mm -hmm. he's a man of faith. And so we need to vote for this man because he'll make sure that the right judges are appointed to the Supreme Court and so forth. But there's nothing in Scripture that says go out and vote, you know, a certain way because right. that's the godly way to vote. Right. And, and yeah. we, were, we were encouraged when President Bush, uh, again, and I say this, we as, as a collective we, Christians were encouraged when we saw the, uh, the White House create the uh, Office of Faith-Based Initiatives until I stopped and thought about it for a minute. I said, oh, wait a minute, wait just a minute here. If you're taking government funds as a church, and I would extend this 
even to uh, churches. And again, this may be a point of. Uh, oh, we're uh, really going to alienate, alienate a lot of churches one. here. I know what you're this. about to say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would extend this to churches claiming the 501c3 nonprofit exemption from paying taxes. If you're taking the government's money that way, you are rendering unto Caesar what is God's. Um, because you are allowing the government then to have control over what you and your pastor are allowed to do inside the walls of your church. Amen. Your Just pastor, pay the taxes. You, that's right. And we, we, we constantly see the, you know, and hear this debate, well, how can that political candidate get away with saying that in this kind of church? And not, well, well, you know, look. to do that kind of stuff is being Peter grabbing the sword and cutting off the ear. They're right. saying somehow in my own uh, abilities... I can go out and I can do what God is either unwilling or unable to do. Yes. Trust yes. me, God knows who's in control of the government. He yep. put them there. Right. Exactly mm-hmm. right. And that's a point that we Christians also Christian forget. Christian or not, he yes. put them there. Yes. And so we may be looking at the choices available to us for president this fall and saying, oh, well, you know, I just, uh, we, we need to get a third party candidate so we can vote for our, ma-. no, God is putting the, forth these candidates and allowing this to happen for his own reasons. We may not understand it. We may mm-hmm. not like it, but it is for his reasons and for us to believe that we need to, uh, to, to organize and uh, and support our own political agenda and our own political party, I think, is very similar to the ancient uh, Jews, the ancient Hebrews, who, uh, when told by God to trust in him for their protection, went out and formed alliances with the Egyptians or the Babylonians anyway, just because they wanted to have that back up against the Assyrians, because mm-hmm. the Assyrians are pretty mean and nasty, and they got a really big army. And well, God, we know you're Sharp, our protector and all, and yeah, uh, but uh, right. we, we really need the uh, the Egyptians to help us out here. Right, and uh, they that the Egyptians were were said that they were a reed that will break in your hand when you need to lean against them, and uh, I th- I think I've seen that much, you know, and I guess I just like to to go on the record and say that I still feel like Christians have a responsibility as citizens uh, in many aspects sure. with our communities. And part of it is to seek the Lord and use your best judgment on on your duties as a, uh, a citizen that has the right to vote, has the right to, uh, to be involved, and to do your part to do what you think is in the best interest of your fellow citizens. But at mm-hmm. the same, not, not uh, get confused the mission of the church and the mission of the state. The mission of the state is to make sure that the garbage gets picked up right, uh, to make sure that uh, when you and your neighbor have a dispute over the fence, particularly if you're not both the household of faith and can take it to the church or with another brother or sister, that there's a court that you can go and settle it. But th- these are very, very pragmatic kind of things. These are not the kind of inspiring kind of things. We're talking about, you know, making sure that, uh, you know, the society's kept uh, clean and the garbage is picked up, like I said. Oh, but, amen to that. But, but I oh, find oh, we, could, we could fuse the two of them, and we want one to do the job of the other. And the other thing that's concerned mm-hmm. me, too, is that when the church starts to look like the world, and, in fact, we start having to bend our uh, convictions when we say, well, you know, politically th- th- this particular group or person has been good to us in the past, or, or they said suddenly nice you're, things. Suddenly so, you're voting for evil. So yeah. we, we owe them one. We're going to have to look the other way. We're going to have to not vote our conscience so much here because we have power within this group, and it may not look good right now. It may not fit our conscience, but we're going to do it anyway because, we, you know, we scratch each other's back. And I know some, some groups, even Christian well-meaning groups, have gone so far as now they even have large uh, groups that meet in secret. They don't let people know what their planning and their scheming is. And I'm sorry, mm-hmm. but that just doesn't appear Christian to me. 
uh, to behave in that way, and that's not a proper image to show before the world of what the church is. Exactly right, and it gets back to where do you put your trust? You know, do you trust in God to uh, to do what He has promised, or do you think you need to meet in secret and form plans and uh, make deals with the other side uh, in order to get get things done that, as Sharon said, God is either unable or unwilling to do? Um, yeah, it it is, uh, and it's very easy. I find myself falling into this trap too, as I watch the political cycle. You know, this has got to be one of the most bizarre presidential campaign seasons we've ever seen. It's very easy to get caught up in that mm-hmm. and say, gosh, I just can't believe this is happening. And Sharon, who's the voice of reason, says, remember, this is happening because God wants this to happen. God, now, that God sets mean, up rulers and he tears them down right. according to his plan for that nation and the nations around it. And so someone may go into that office that, you know, evangelicals or Christians, whatever you want to call us, I call myself a believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, we may not like that person. I I. Honestly, I voted for George Bush twice, <laughs> but I don't like him to this day, and I'm not really sure. I guess I voted because there was nobody else. <laughs> what do you do? Because we do vote. Mm-hmm. But to, to, to feel like somehow you're going to vote in Christianity, that's just that's not going to happen. Yep. But it's funny because we do watch the news all the time. We're such news junkies. In fact, we've got the television on in the other room, and Derek occasionally is turning his head. It's got the sound down because Obama had a live speech tonight, and... Today is the 40th anniversary of, of uh, Robert Kennedy's assassination. And, and you remember the comment that uh, Senator Clinton made just uh, a couple of weeks just ago. Just not even that long ago. She brought up that assassination in the same context as Barack Obama. It was a very odd statement. She yeah, that was made weird. made that statement twice. Yeah. And so we're kind of keeping that. Plus, it was earlier this year that the, uh, the secrets, uh, the... Um, Oh, gosh, the, the guards, the Secret Service guys who were watching after Obama. Oh, yeah. In, they were uh, letting anybody and everybody in through. In Dallas. In Dallas, of all places. Oh, we don't need to check those bags. Come on in. Yeah, a really bizarre situation. Uh, so so what it, we're saying is we, we do keep track of these things, right. not because we feel like we've got a horse in the race, and if he doesn't win, we're going to die, mm-hmm. but we're watching to see what the Lord does. Yeah, it's it's fascinating mm-hmm. to watch, certainly. Um, and, and by the same token, while there are some believers who may be offended when uh, they hear talk uh, like this, uh, criticizing a, uh, a a nominally conservative president uh, and uh, you know his beliefs, uh, there are others, well-meaning brothers and sisters in the Lord, who think that the uh, government is corrupt, it's evil, it is uh, through and through, uh, rotten to the core, and thus we have a Christian obligation to resist the government and not pay taxes, for example. Uh, and I think that that is uh, misguided as well. Scripture tells us that we are to uh, uh, obey the authorities for the very reason Sharon said, because they are in power for God's own reasons. Jesus yeah. said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and unto the Lord what is the Lord. You See, may we, not we don't agree, fit in with anybody. You, you may not agree with the, you know, the, the, uh, the, the income tax, which was unconstitutionally rammed through in 1916. Ah, Another thing that happened today, 1933. Oh, yeah, FDR taking the... It happened today in 1933, yep. uh, FDR taking the uh, United States off the gold standard. Um, you may not agree with these things, and, and you may feel that as a Christian you have a, 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 a right or an obligation to resist them, but I, I don't see that in Scripture. 
No. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we watch these things because, as I said, it's fascinating to see what the Lord does, but it's also fascinating to watch the spiritual battle take place. Yeah. Well, we debate these kind of issues you're just talking about quite a bit on our show, and we have mm-hmm. guests that take different positions that are good Bible-believing Christians that have a good relationship with the Lord. Uh, the real challenge comes regarding our government uh, is that we know scenarios in the past where, for example, the, the government told people to uh, you know, offer uh, their allegiance and then to worship Caesar, say Caesar is God. And there comes a point when it gets into the spiritual realm that you have things of the kingdom of heaven and then you have things of earth. And uh, you you obey your uh, leaders here on earth pertaining to the things of earth, and then you, you have the things of heaven that are involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have other issues where you have uh, tyrants that actually don't even obey the rule of law anymore. And then the question comes, uh, do you uh, obey the uh, the tyrant, or do you obey the law that you and your fellow citizens uh, you know have, have accepted as the official rule of law? that stands regardless whether tyrants come and go. So those are some some very challenging things that we debate quite a bit on our show. Mm -hmm. But these are the kind of things that Christians need to seriously be talking about. Well, exactly. And there are too many Christians who believe that there is one political party to which they owe allegiance because it's the party of conservative family values, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And and that gets back to, uh, we think, uh, the beginning stages of dominionism and a, dominion, a dominionist theology. Uh, you, you know, back in the early days of the, uh, the Massachusetts Bay Colony, uh, the Puritans and the Pilgrims who founded uh, the, the colony there at Plymouth Rock and the communities that sprung up around it in the 1620s, 30s, 40s, uh, in the early days of Massachusetts, a, uh, a pastor, a, a minister, was not allowed to hold government office. And it wasn't because there was a secularist belief in the separation of church and state. It's because they believe that a pastor's time, a minister's time, was best spent devoted to the study uh, and understanding and preaching of the Word of God. That he should not be bound down, distracted by, and tied up in the mundane affairs of civil government. Now, uh, we today hear about separation of church and state, but for very different reasons. It's because secularists don't want any uh, spiritual influence, any godly influence in uh, in everyday life, um, and I think that Christians are, well, let's say many Christians respond in the wrong way and see the uh, initiative, like the faith-based initiative, as a good thing, instead of what it is, which is a government attempt to control and rein in uh, the the churches. Uh, across the country. Uh, The the whole 501c3 thing dates back to the 1950s, in fact. Uh, It was a carrot that was uh, uh, part of a package proposed by Lyndon Johnson, of all people, when he was in the Senate, because he was upset at some preachers down in Texas who were preaching against uh, him and some of the things that he was doing. Uh, He thought, well, let's see, let's offer him tax-exempt status, with the stick being, if they spoke out on political issues, we'd make them go back to paying taxes. So this... Wow, I never knew that. This -hmm. gets back to what we had said before. If you're taking the 501c3 exemption as a church, yes, you are exempting your church from having to pay. And I know that finances are tight for churches. I know that there aren't very many pastors, the vast majority of uh, preachers out there, men and women of God, who aren't getting rich. But they do it by sacrificing their freedom to say whatever they felt lead, the fit, feel led to say inside the walls uh, of, of their church. Mm-hmm. And that was the whole reason for it. Well, I'm going to say something that's also going to make people mad here. 
and that is I grew up in a small church, and our pastor had another job. That was how it was. All the churches around me in southern Indiana, all the pastors of these little churches, these little Bible-based churches, all the pastors had another job. They were like Paul, who mended nets mm-hmm. when he wasn't preaching. They all were carpenters or, or you know, salesmen or whatever it took, and then on, uh, they, they preached. And they had, uh, I mean, they had Wednesday night service and Sunday service and Sunday night service and Thursday night visitation. And, you, know, and sometimes you don't see Jesus, that much anymore. Oh, you, you don't know? see it much anymore. And one of the reasons is because you don't have those tiny churches anymore. You've got churches that are so big that it requires that that pastor be there full-time and bring in other people who are full-time. And suddenly, the church is no longer a small gathering of like-minded believers who are fellowshipping together. It's a business. It's a corporation. Yeah. Well, well, one other aspect of that is that what I think you're alluding to, Sharon, and I agree with that. And I hate to be too dogmatic because there's always exceptions to things. And the, the, the more I've been seeing all this and my thinking changing, the, the, realize the more I have to be patient with other people because uh, the, the Doctor of Future of 2008 is very, very different than the Doctor of Future of 2005. And, uh, it's me. a kindler, gentler doctor. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, on that, on that same subject... Um, what what would happen is, and I think there's a there's a trend I can see here. Anytime you're involved in any kind of endeavor for the Lord or otherwise, and and it applies pressure on you to try to compromise your convictions or beliefs or what you think God stands for or, or His Word, then that that's when there's a problem. And I've I've seen in many churches um, when you you have a major source of income for for. Uh, pastor and his family and he's forced to do things that are, he doesn't really feel as conscious well that's that's his livelihood that's how he takes care of his family and i've seen a lot of anguish on very very good men who worry about their kids and putting them through college but they've, they've got in a bind in a scenario that they don't support but they've also got to take care of their families too and I think sometimes we put people in those scenarios. The same thing happens when people get involved in certain kind of political organizations. And I'm not saying that Christians shouldn't be any less involved than anyone else. We have obligations as citizens for the betterment of our, of our fellow citizens. A lot of that can be accomplished through our work in the church. But if you ever get in a situation where you have to compromise what you believe to be able to, to stay in the game, to stay in play, to keep your influence or income or whatever... That's when you've gotten in a bad situation to begin with. Uh, to me, that's where it seems like where we really get into trouble. Amen. Yeah, the uh, ends do not justify the means. Um, and it can wh- be very subtle on how we can get ourselves into those messes. Right. Uh, you know, I think l- looking at the history of uh, Christianity, and, and this was something I was blessed to do. I had the opportunity to teach uh, some classes to uh, junior and senior high school kids uh, several years ago, which really forced me to get in and study the word hard. And that was really a period of real uh, growth and and, the Holy Spirit really opening my eyes to a lot of things. Looking at the scope of history and the way things have ebbed and flowed throughout the centuries. um, From a a doctrinal standpoint, from a doctrinal standpoint, one of the worst things that ever happened to Christianity was its uh, recognition as uh, by the, by the, uh, the, the Roman Empire. When Constantine legalized Christianity, and then Theodosius later made it the official religion, uh, this happened in the 4th century, uh, it, Christianity suddenly became a means to earthly, to uh, uh, secular power and wealth. Uh, not secular, but I mean to, to um, temporal, that was the word I was looking for, right. temporal power and wealth. Many Christians in the 4th century 
thought that this was a good thing because right. they'd spent 300 years being brutally persecuted by the Roman Empire, by uh, other smaller kingdoms, and those in the Holy Land, of course, were, were viciously persecuted by the uh, Jewish authorities out, out of Jerusalem. So suddenly, when Emperor Constantine and Emperor Theodosius within 75 years of one another, uh, first legalized and then made Christianity the official religion of the empire. They saw this as a good thing. They saw it as the hand of God. I think it was exactly the opposite. I think it was a subtle and brilliant scheme by the enemy to rot Christianity from the inside. It was the darkest day of the church. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I think we as Christians in America today are so numbed by our physical well-being. The fact, that, the fact is that even with the economy the way it is, we are so much better off economically, physically, uh, than even our grandparents were just 50, 60 years ago, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, that we don't have any clue about what it was like to be a Christian during those days of the, you know, the, the early church. Or today, what it's like to be a, a Christian in some place like China or Sudan or uh, one of the Muslim nations. Uh, we just don't have any clue as to what it's like. And yet, I'd say the doctrinal purity of the church, the doctrinal flame burns brightest in those areas. Well, I think where that's coming. the chaff is being blown away. And you're right, it probably is. Yeah. Um, well, in fact, but, uh, you, Brother Derek, you've been so kind in the past to invite me to come on your show. And I'd like to follow up on that invitation soon because I'd like to talk about this topic because the seminal event you mentioned with Constantine, um, I have speculated and hypothesized that that may actually be the gold crown uh, placed on the uh, rider with the white horse in the, the first seal of Revelation. Interesting. So you see that all like drawn out. Uh, I think, uh, and it, it's part of a much longer discourse that uh, mm -hmm. sometime I'd like to come on your show and talk about it in detail and just debate love it. To talk oh, that. we'd love to talk to you about that because we have the same sort of theory, at least I do, that that writer went out pretty early on, that first writer. Mm. Well, I'd, I'd, I'd like to discuss writing, this. And the spirit of Antichrist has been writing all along. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that uh, is, uh, again, and that's a theory that uh, I, I first heard from uh, <laughs> the likes of David Lowe and Peter Goodgame. Mm -hmm. um, really? Well, we've we've had some debates on their uh, on their their blog and their forum about that as well. You know, uh, our our time is getting away here, and I've got some other general questions to talk about your experiences. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about: well, what do you thought were some of the most important issues facing the church today? And I think we've already backed into answering those uh, naturally for the most part. I think we naturally have a inclination to drive toward those issues, uh, and we've discussed already. Um, you mentioned that you get a lot of feedback from uh, people who listen to your show who aren't Christians. And I'm just curious to know what kind of actual some specifics of the mm -hmm. kind of feedback they tell you. What what do they tell you about you and your show and, and how that impacts the way they perceive Christians? Well, the, some of the email that I get, well, actually I get email from men and women alike, but almost always, I mean, it's very rare that we get an email that does not say, love your show. And I'm not going to give any glory to us for that. We're just praising the Lord that there are people out there who are listening and who say, love your show. And I think the reason for that is if they love it, it's because there's some truth there that is coming through because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. So we'll give him that glory. Um, but they, they will ask questions. You know, I used to be a Christian. Sometimes I'll get that. Hmm. I used to be a Christian. Or I grew up in a Christian church and I got away. Or, you know what, I'm, I'm a gay or I'm a lesbian. And I, I, you guys are the first, you know, 
people that I've really listened to that don't seem to be condemning me left and right. And I make it very clear in responses that in that case, you know what? Why should I condemn you? Because I'm a sinner too. But let me just say, I don't believe that homosexuality is biblically based. I, I do believe that that is a sin. But I do things on a weekly basis that God probably turns his nose up at. So I can't really, mm-hmm. you know, look at somebody else and say, oh, I see, you're far worse than I am. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus said if you're going to remove the uh, the speck from another man's eye, you have to take the log out of yours first. Yeah, mm-hmm. there is yeah. none righteous, no, not one. Uh, we do get some interesting uh, feedback. We, we have... Um, uh, had had some negative comments here and there, but I think for the most part, people who um, don't respond to the message, uh, don't respond to the shows, don't waste their time writing us notes. So we, you know, we get a matter. lot of doctrinal questions. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, we we do get some people who are interested in the approach that we take to discussing uh, the paranormal, uh, to talking with, uh, for example, a ghost hunter. Or one who researches, uh, the, uh, you know, sightings of, mm-hmm. of, of ghosts and and, and uh, things like that, and the unexplained. Because there are Christians out there who are not only seeing ghosts. Mm-hmm. I'll say ghosts, but you know, I don't really believe it's Aunt Maud coming back. Um, <laughs> and who who believe that they're seeing unidentified flying objects, and some Christians who even believe that they have seen extraterrestrials mm-hmm. or been aboard a craft. Mm-hmm. So there, these people are left out in the cold. If they can't talk to somebody about it, and you take it from a biblical worldview, you, you anything is fair game to run past you, but you're going to address it in light of what the Bible has Absolutely. to say. Absolutely, we we try to make that clear in our show, and when people do write to us, you know, we just consider that an honor that they have taken the time to sit down and write something to us. You can say anything to us. You can you can ask any question of us. And I will tell you, we are not going to condemn you in any way, shape, or form. Because mm-hmm. Jesus Christ wouldn't. Mm-hmm. And for us to presume to do something he wouldn't, that that just that is the height of hypocrisy. Yeah. Doesn't mm-hmm. mean we'll agree necessarily. No, we not, won't necessarily right. agree. But, uh, but with again, you, but we, we try to do it in light of the uh, scriptural command to do it with gentleness and respect. Well, what, what I think to me an overarching theme I see is that uh, many people mistake the fact that they think they have to compromise on standing on God's word in order to be relevant to modern men and women today. And I think what shows like yours prove is that you can be relevant and address the questions that people have, yet at the same time stand firmly on God's word. You can address the issues they're asking today. Uh, You can show uh, intellectual prowess. You can show an inquisitiveness, an open-mindedness, all those kind of things while standing on God's word at the same time. And I think that's really the the key thing that shows like yours now offer an opportunity for for people now and a doorway. I'm smiling as you you say this because I just... just think it's funny that people call us relevant when they see the way we live. We're just so boring. <laughs> so, uh, we, we're I didn't so say, not with it. Uh, I used to be. Well, I, I, I didn't say him. Well, okay. yeah. well, it's not we're going to Vegas. We I mean, you know. Yeah, because uh, early in my radio career, I was a top 40 disc jockey and program director. It was my job up until about 1991 or so to actually pick the music that was going to influence and lead the culture. And, you know, I, I have to confess that a lot of the songs that I was picking and putting on the airwaves in uh, one of America's 15 largest cities, you know, songs that I would not want my daughter to listen to even today, frankly. 
So, um, you know, to to have come from that to now where I don't know who's in the Billboard top ten today, and nor do I care, is uh, is a remarkable transformation. And I don't take credit for that. It was uh, you know the Holy Spirit just working on me and and saying, look. Here's how the pieces fit together. A, B, C, D. Now, there's your picture. What are you going to do with the? What are you going to do with this information? Um, mm-hmm. And uh, again, it was like a switch being flipped, and uh, you know, th- there was nowhere else to go but to say, okay, well, huh? Guess I can't uh, keep doing what I was doing because it's so inconsistent and so out of step with what uh, I now know to be true. Um, it's it's really a uh, just just a remarkable transformation and, and like I say it's not through any of my own innate goodness it's just uh, the way God has has worked through me and, and Sharon will will con- confirm this when when we met in fact when we met uh, and as we were uh, making preparations to be married I was still one of those guys who talked about God in the sort of amorphous, vague terms of being a higher power out there, sort of watching over us, like the Bette Midler song, From a Distance. <laughs> Sadly, by the way, I should, as an aside, one of the fellows that I used to know in St. Louis uh, and sang with told us that they actually had that as special music in church on, su- on one Sunday morning. Can you believe, can you believe that? Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, uh, but yeah, that's, that's where I was, and, and I have... You know, and I'm certainly not trying to set myself up as some paragon of virtue, righteousness, or doctrinal purity. That is not me at all. But it's it's like once the Holy Spirit worked on me and said, "Look, you've looked at all the evidence. The only logical conclusion is that this man illogically rose from the dead three days after being put in the tomb and mm-hmm. appeared to his brothers, his followers." and to hundreds more who were so changed by what they saw that they would rather die than than deny. And like, oh, okay, well, that certainly changes my worldview in a hurry. Uh, and, and now it's like uh, the, the you know, getting, up, getting in the morning, up in the morning, you know, I know that when I swing my feet out from the bed, they're going to hit the floor. I have faith that gravity will take hold. And, and it's and like that. Like I know Jesus Christ lived, died, died, rose again from the grave, from the grave with that same kind of certainty. And I just am thankful that the Holy Spirit opened my eyes and made that change in me. And having gone through that transformation, I'm like an ex-smoker going around telling telling right. other smokers that they're you know that they're uh, uh you know uh, on the wrong path um it sounds like uh, your experience is very similar to tom's i know he shared with me even economics yeah. had a role the uh, study of economics economics yeah. you did too yeah. what's with that yeah it's my degree I, it's a it's a funny uh it's a funny thing that economics that economics degree where to yeah. lead you but I mean, he he was he was like you. He it wasn't something he inherited. It was something no, he confronted with his own think intellect. I'm crazy. Well, <laughs> I, they actually, my mom actually got got baptized here recently. So praise the Lord. Yeah, but but uh, yeah, for a long time they they thought I was pretty crazy. We, we've got about ten minutes left, so I want to uh, talk about some uh, other unfinished business we have because obviously we're going to need you back at a time that you're available. <laughs> um, I want to talk a little bit about your book, Empire. And uh, I've never seen anyone who can. Not so much empire as it is as it is a corner of the living room. <laughs> <laughs> okay, empire, corner, living room, whatever. Uh, I it's think it's a small empire. I think it's you. I one. think you all. 
the the Gilberts have turned out more books than Jack Chick has turned out tracks, as far as I understand. <laughs> He's got a lot in planning. Let's put it that way. I'm still working okay. on it. Can you share with us a little bit about your uh, your book ministry, the contents, uh, you know, some of your goals, the subject areas, things like that? Well, Derek and I both write fiction, and we're eventually going to get into nonfiction for those people. We have a, had a number of emails asking us, do you guys ever plan on writing nonfiction? The answer is yes. But we write fiction, and the reason I choose to write fiction, I'll let you answer for yourself, Derek, here in a minute, but the reason I choose to use fiction is because, there is a psychological evidence that you can literally uh, enter a person's brain and mind and spirit through fiction in a way that you cannot do in nonfiction. There literally is a sort of a filter that goes off, is switched off when you're reading fiction. And yet as you're reading the fiction, it's the, uh, you know, um, I, I could preach to you all day long in a nonfiction book, but if I have a character do it, you'll get it. Is that why Jesus taught in parables frequently? It, you know, it, it may be. well have been. Yeah, hmm. it could be. Interesting. I, I, th I think it's you know the filter has the official scientific de designation is the BS t detector. <laughs> um, but no, but there, there's a certain skepticism when um, somebody is writing to you in in the form of nonfiction. A certain skepticism that uh, prevents the ideas from, from getting mm -hmm. through. Uh, but, as Sharon says, uh, in, in a fiction setting, uh, ideas can be conveyed, and that filter switched off because the uh, reader is engaged in the story and identifies with the characters in a way that you just cannot do with a nonfiction book. And that's maybe why you see certain uh, ideas being peddled from the other side, uh, as in, oh, say, the Da Vinci Code, or the Celestine Prophecy, things mm -hmm. like that, mm -hmm. which used fiction as a means of spreading Gnostic and heretical doctrines. So uh, we're just going about it the other way and using their own techniques against them. Bwaha. Now, you you have some, uh, yeah, that sounds very subversive. You, you, you uh, have some book series that you actually do, correct? That's a, a regular series? You know, I have at least one. Uh, when uh, Derek and I now publish our own books, <laughs> which really means we make no money whatsoever. <laughs> but, but when it... You've, take, you've taken a vow of poverty like many other Christians. You know, apparently we have. Well, it's an unintentional vow of poverty. <laughs> but, you know, let me just say that um, for those of you who are sitting there thinking these poor people, they wish they could make money, but they're not. The truth is we don't care if we make a dime because if one person is somehow put on a different path, if one person gets mm -hmm. Or one Christian maybe rededicates his or her life because of a book we've written. Oh, man, we will just rejoice for I can't even tell you how many years or maybe decades in heaven with that person when we get to the chance to meet him or her in, in person. So it's not the money. It's right. the laying up the tr that treasure in heaven. we got a bank account up there that we try to feed as often as possible. Uh, but the but one down here, it can, you know, have mothballs in it, moths mm -hmm. flying around. Um, but but the first book I wrote was called Winds of Evil, and it was literally set up to be book one of what I was going to write, three books. And the publisher wanted it to go at least four. And, of course, after one book, the publisher said goodbye. So yeah. <laughs> Wait yeah. a minute. We're, we're, you get UFOs and crop circles in here. I don't What's know. These that aren't about? selling. People just, I don't know what the problem is. You just don't fit in. 
So, but but there are people out there that couldn't you couldn't you throw some veggie tails in there or something like that, dude? <laughs> Talking carrots, I don't know. Or some nephilim ve- some nephilim veggie tails. I can see it now. <laughs> nephilim yeah. veggie tails. Vegemorphs. Oh, Vegemorphs. Yeah. That's really bad. Uh, book two, I put out. Uh, gosh, about a year and a half ago. I'm still working on book three. It's you know, it's like I was saying earlier. When it comes down to the the radio versus the doing the novels, uh, we don't really. At least I don't really know from one day to the next which is the most important. And maybe it varies from one day to the next. All I know is each day, Derek and I put our feet on the ground, and we really try to. Walk according to God's plan for that day, and I guess ultimately that's all mm-hmm. I do is I just I just take the day as it comes. And, and I, guess, I guess you could say that uh, hopefully when these congressmen are are done investigating these other super wealthy uh, televangelists, you don't you don't think you all are on the list. We're not going <laughs> to be some. No, don't no. think so. Don't don't know that. Okay. We're certainly not uh, any uh, uh, in in that tax bracket. So that's. Uh, okay, they're not looking after your estate, the Gilbert estate. <laughs> yeah. We're not concerned. Um, the the yeah. novels, the, the series that Sharon began, um, we, we actually uh, had um, pitched the, the publisher the idea of the two of us writing independently, but writing in the same fictional uh, timeline. And so there are actually some characters that she created that will appear uh, in my next novel, The God Conspiracy, mm-hmm. which is not exactly a sequel to anything she's written, but it's sort of like a uh, uh, like a flash it's like a cousin. Yeah, it's like a flash sideways <laughs> instead of a flash back or forward. It's a flash sideways mm-hmm. because some of the characters will appear uh, in in uh, that novel that that she created. And uh, in fact, we were talking about some ideas today. The neat thing about writing in in a um, in a worldview that that's based on premised on the spiritual war written about by Paul, is that uh, these characters ha- are older than humanity, which means you can have recurring characters in any time in history that exactly. you choose. Exactly, it's, it's sort of like writing Doctor Who. Oh it's yeah, yeah. 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 So, <laughs> like Doctor Future Past. Yes. When Derek and I sit and we talk about these things, he and I are both history buffs, so yeah. we are excited about the possibility of writing stories that go way back in time. Yeah. Well, I'd like for you to try to find some characters for, for Dr. Future and for Tom Bionic to suddenly appear. Yeah. yeah different, sort, of like, sort of like Melchizedek, you know? <laughs> I love <What>? it. <laughs> we could just come tip the, you know, like when things are looking bad for the Hittites or, you know. There the, we go. The we're, there to, we're there to hold the guy's arms up when you're. Yeah, there. yeah. <laughs> you can just sort of work us in the in the past, sort of like Forrest Gump. Passing hey, we're coming snacks. up. To, there you Passing go. Up. Yes. Oftentimes uh, our best role. Or we could just provide a standing commentary on the battle from the, there you from go. the hillside. Like, like uh, Mystery Science Theater 2000. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we're, we're down to the last couple of minutes, and I want to close out. I, I want to close out letting uh, folks know a little bit about uh, your show and how they can find out about it. Because uh, the people who currently listen to the large group that you have in Appearing in the Darkness are... Um, I guess they could be called a cult. Uh, they're much like heads. the FD. We call them. Pit they're heads. much like the pit heads. Yeah. They're much like the FDLS group, except they don't have the nice big building. <laughs> what? 
but just as vehemently supportive followers, nevertheless. So, uh, in closing our show, could you just share a little bit about uh, uh, how our, our our listeners can check out uh, PID Radio and find out all the fascinating guests and uh, content subject area that you have? Well, the PID PID stands for Peering into Darkness. Yeah, just in we, case you wondered. And and uh, the podcast and the show's website is PID Radio. That's all one word: PIDradio.com. Uh, and from there, you can link to the other sites we maintain, peeringintodarkness.com, which is where we post uh, occasional commentary on the news of the day and where we'll post news uh, releases about uh, our forthcoming books. And we each have our own blogs that we, uh, where we pontificate, uh, you know, because... Bloviate. The, bloviate. The world has a, a, a right to hear our opinions. <laughs> um, but PIDradio.com is the site where you can find all of the shows, the archives, and uh, download the MP3 files. Okay, and so that is the portal to enter the communications empire of the Gilberts. That's correct? the secret door. Yes. <laughs> okay. The the uh, I see it. The virtual stargate. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. But Nephilim not allowed. That's right. They no. don't know the handshake. So. <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> hey, it's been great to have you all with yeah, us. Yeah. And was a great, uh, great interview. It's just good to know that we have kindred spirits out there who are contending for your corner and. Uh, the gates of hell are not pre- prevailing against uh, the PID radio folk and the uh, Gilberts over there. Keep doing the great work you're doing. Uh, I look forward to uh, maybe making a little peek over to your, your way uh, when mm-hmm. the time's right for you. But to please come back. Well, we we, uh, we would love to uh, pop over, and uh, we'd like to have you back to talk about some specific issues and to get your views on, on those type things. So uh, it's just been great to have you uh, for our show this week. And we're uh, anytime you need us, just give us a call. Okay, thank you thank so you. thank you so much, uh, Derek and Sharon, and uh, we'll be back in touch soon. And we'll we'll pass on any comments from our listeners about your show, and we hardly uh, encourage them to catch it. We'll have your link at futurequake.com, and we'll look to have you back again soon. Oh, wonderful! Thank you so much. Thank you. Welcome back to the Friday edition of the Future Quake Show. And this is the show that we do tomorrow's tremors for today's review of the Future's News. Yeah. And I guess I'm remiss to say that I'm Dr. Future. And I'm also remiss to say that I am Tom Bionic. Uh, one thing that we have been telling you all uh, since we've uh, been on with our new formatted show is to encourage you to send in emails and let us know what you think about the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that takes time. There's a little inertia involved for you to... Uh, Make a little mental note to take your hands off the steering wheel in the car if you're commuting home and uh, write some detailed notes uh, to contact us later. But we've had a few people who started to do that, and we've mentioned to you that if you let us know if it's okay, we'd like to share some of it with our listeners uh, during our Friday Tomorrow's Tremors show. And one such email we've got today we were going to share with you. It's not really a question, and feel free to ask us a question to discuss on the show or just give us your two cents about topics. But this was just a quick word of encouragement from one of our longer-term listeners. Uh, this is Jackie from Indianapolis. Who is a, she calls herself an Indianapolis-area grandmother. And I know she's done uh, wonderful work. She's even taking our shows and sharing it with a small group that she has at her church. Really? Yeah. Wow. So I guess you've communicated with this lady before? Or? Uh, she she has uh, been uh, with us for some time. But uh, let me just uh, share with you a little bit of what she has to share with us. She says, hi, uh, I listened to the first night's interview with uh, Chris Pinto uh, last night via the website. She says, sounds good. 
and uh, she just gives us all sorts of good compliments. She suggests, how about having Perry Stone or Chuck Missler of Koinonia House maybe on a That's segment? a big influence on me. I'd like to see Chuck as well. Oh, Chuck would yeah. be great. Although, even though he did at a conference one time, he, he referred to you Dr. Me, Futile. Dr. Futile, yeah. So, And you know, I'm going to bring that up when we have him on the show. He's not going to get a get away that easy <laughs> you know you know i think what i think i had mentioned getting getting uh chuck on before and that's you've, you've also said that yeah it's like yeah. a boy named sue yeah. you know yeah I'll say how do you chuck do i'm dr future chuck, chuck versus dr future yeah. right here on future quake that's right <laughs> kicking in a gouging uh but anyway what we, we need to have chuck on because he's one of our kind of guys he's great yeah, yeah he's really good perry stone also is an extremely popular prophecy writer and uh, I, don't know, he would, I don't know as much from him. He he's pretty big time. We'll just have to see if he could carve out a little time for Doctor and uh, Tom. Yeah. But uh, uh, Jackie, we're going to sure do everything we can to try to get them lined up. And uh, you mentioned even a couple of interesting topics like the Lakeland, Florida outpouring, uh, discussing the pros and the cons of what's going on there. I think that's an interesting uh, discussion to I have. Wow, I haven't heard anything about that. And also, uh, she mentions Nephilim versus the Star Children. Versus like they... Well, like not like a battle. No holds barred melee. Well, it's not like Godzilla <laughs> versus Megalon, but uh, uh, evidently, uh, you can tell very clearly that uh, Miss Jackie is well-read and also a regular listener to our show. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had some features on the Star Children. In fact, they have a and connection have. here in our local area here. Yeah. So, Jackie, thank you for being such a great listener and a real encourager in the Lord. We appreciate it so much. We're sorry when uh, we let you down. We have yeah. some strange shows and you don't know where we're coming from. Thank you for being patient with us. Yeah. And I just want you to be an example to all of our new listeners out there. Uh, you'll hear uh, stuff from us, and sometimes we don't even know what our yeah, opinion is. Don't worry, folks. Shared us. This, this show is completely unscripted. And, uh, uh, you know, until they get professional people to host this show, you just got you and me, and uh, we just try to talk about things other people don't talk about in the Christian world. Um, try we, and deal with the important stuff. And, really. and, you know, our opinions change over time. We'll say things, and True. sometimes with further thought, we may realize we've, we send that we've trivialized things some, yeah. or something like that. Uh, and uh, people like Miss Jackie are very, very faithful to us. They know where we're, she knows where we're coming from and our other listeners. Mm-hmm. And uh, those of you that are new, I just want to let you know we have some, some long-term listeners to the show that like what they hear over time, and I think you'll be the same way too. Yeah. Uh, let's go. We, we're jawing a lot. We've we got yeah. some stories to review. It's time. So do you want to go first or should I go first? You call it. We don't have a well, coin in the studio. Thumb uh, wrestle? We could do lots in the lap. I think that's rock, biblical. Rock, paper, scissors? You want to do rock, paper, scissors? Yeah, okay, okay ready? ready? One, two, three. Two scissors? Okay, uh, we hear one more time. One, two, three. <laughs> <laughs> we get two papers. two papers. You know, we're wasting a lot first. of their you good go. time you go. playing rock, paper, scissors. You know, they don't get to hear that on radio much. I know. Let me know if it gets too slick for you, folks. All right, well, let's do a quick one here. Um, this is the uh, story. It says, Water Crisis to be Biggest World Risk. Um, this is where we get some of those downer stories. Yeah, not a, a happy one. A catastrophic water shortage could prove an even bigger threat to mankind this century than soaring food prices and the relentless exhaustion of energy reserves, according to a panel of global experts at the Goldman Sachs Top 5 Risk Conference. Should be an interesting place to go to. Uh, Nicholas Lord Stern, author of the government's Stern Review on the Economics of Climate Change, warned that underground aquifers could run dry at the same time as melting glaciers play havoc with fresh supplies of usable water. 
The glaciers on the Himalayas are retreating, and they are at the sponge that holds the water back in the rainy season. We're facing the risk of extreme runoff, with water running straight into the Bay of Bengal and taking a lot of topsoil with it, he said. A few hundred square miles of the Himalayas are the source for all the major rivers of Asia. The Ganges, Yellow River, Yangtze, where three billion people live. That's almost half the world's population. Lord Stern, the World's Bank former chief economist, said governments have been slow to accept the awful truth that usable water is running out. Fresh rainfall is not enough to refill underground water tables. Water is not a renewable resource. People have been mining it without restraint because it's not been priced properly. Farming takes up 70% of global water demand. Fresh water for irrigation is never returned to underground basins. Most of it is lost through leaks and evaporation. A Goldman Sachs report said water was the petroleum for the next century, offering huge rewards for investors who know how to play the infrastructure boom. The U.S. alone needs up to uh, $1 trillion in new piping and wastewater plants by 2020. Demand for water continues to escalate at unsustainable rates. At the risk of being alarmist, we see parallels with Malthusian economics. Globally, water consumption is doubling every 20 years. By 2025, it's estimated that one-third of the global population will not have access to adequate drinking water, it says. China faces an acute challenge. It makes up 21% of humanity but controls just 7% of the water supply. The water basin in parts of northern China is falling by one meter a year due to overpumping. In the Hebei province, the aquifer fell three meters last year. An increasing number of rivers are running dry. Disputes over cross-border water bases have already prompted Egypt to threaten military action against any country that draws water off the Nile without agreement. The shift to an animal protein diet across Asia has added to the strain. It takes 15 cubic meters of water on average to produce one kilogram of beef, compared to six for poultry and 1.5 for corn. Uh, just getting here to the end, Goldman Sachs advises investors to focus on high-tech end of the world's 425 billion water industry, but beware of consumer backlash against bottled water. Not now viewed as an eco-hostile waste of fuel. Uh, they are looking at companies that produce a service filtration equipment, uh, which can extract anything from caffeine to animal growth hormones out of the water using nanotechnologies. Wow. Well, that wouldn't be bad. That's good to know. Yeah. Ultraviolet disinfection, desalinization technology, uh, automated water meters, and specialist uh, niches in water reuse. Uh, so uh, GE is a market leader in the field in water equities. Did you know that, GE? Water equities. Yeah, but the center, uh, sector takes up just 2% of its colossal turnover at GE. Uh, some of the top water companies are Suez, Ferrovial, uh, and a bunch of other companies I don't know, except for Ferovial. ITT. Wow. Yeah. Uh, are you familiar with Ferrovial? Do you have stock in them? No, I, it sounds like a disease. It sounds like it's had an iron in it. Yeah. Uh, Goldman Sachs said the best option is to spread investments across a basket of candidates. Badger meter, cargon, cal carbon, calgon, calgon, take me away. No. Uh, and so, there you go. Global climate change, according to a Stanford professor, Donald Kennedy, global climate change was now setting off a self-feeding spiral. We've got droughts combined with uh, psychotic excess of rainfall. There are 800 million people in the world who are food insecure. They can't grow enough food or they can't afford to buy it. This is a seismic shift in the global economy. There you go. You know, when I was, in, uh, when I was doing my thing with economics... I remember sitting in and on a uh, on a talk given by one of the world leaders on uh, uh, population growth and its uh, Malthusian sort of implications, mm -hmm. and he read this article that was exactly like that, and then he said it was written in 1970, and most of the things mentioned in here 
were, uh, in fact, uh, all of all of their prices have fallen in absolute values. <laughs> really? So he said, we we of course recognize that uh, at some point we're going to come to a come to a point where we're not going to have enough of some of these resources, but it's difficult to see that happening in the foreseeable future. So, like, what's the deal? You know, and what is gold? That's your official doing? scientific assessment. What's yeah, the deal? as a as a scientist, I'd like to say what? Yeah. And what is Goldman Sachs doing? Doing this? They're supposed to be lending people money. Well, what, they're what? they're trying to figure out what's you know where the money is. You're right. Showing it's them the true. money. You know, one thing I thought ironic was talking about. Many people don't know China has such a severe water shortage. Mm-hmm. And here they're going to go look for it. And one day they're going to go to the Euphrates in the Book of Revelation, and it's going to run dry. So isn't that all the bummer for China? Here they go to the Euphrates, and then even it runs dry. Hmm. Be trading, maybe pumping the, oil and water out of that um, area. Maybe they're just coming west for water in the last battle of Armageddon. There you go. You never uh, know. Yeah. It's thought, a, go ahead. You know what? It's all those red peppers that they eat over there. It causes the Hunan, magnifying. The Hunan peppers, man. Magnifies the process. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but as long as they got enough milk, because I understand milk is what takes care of that. I had a friend who was a missionary who uh, ate what was supposed to be one of the spiciest peppers in the world, mm-hmm. and he ate it just like... You know, put it in his mouth and chewed on it, and everybody, everybody, even the natives went, "Oh no!" And he was like, "Oh, this isn't so bad." And all of it, he said, "It got hot, and then it really got hot, and then it was so hot his heart palpitated and he passed out." Oh, <laughs> I was hoping it was going to end like Paul. You know, when he get that snake that bit him and he just threw it off in the fire. Oh, they thought he was a god. You know, that's what no. I was sort of hoping. No, no, he passed out from oh. how uh, the the pepper was so hot it actually affected his immune system. Or his wow. nervous system, and it made him pass out. Wow. So I could see them going west for water. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Wake up, you got a pepper in your mouth. Well, anyway, that's going to be a big deal. I yeah. mean, we talk about energy. You know, you can do without a whole lot of stuff, but water is a little hard to do without. It is. So, ladies and gentlemen, you might be keeping an eye out yourself on, on when when push comes to shove. Where are you going to get your fresh water for your family? Yeah. Do you have a reservoir? Do you have a place to go? Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll have shows on that. We'll have shows yeah. where we'll talk about that issue. But... Tom, I'm sure, has a story for I us. I do. I do. This one, um, as some of you may or may not know, uh, we Christians here in America have it easy as far as the government clamping down on what we say, which isn't to say that uh, they don't try and get after us every once in a while. But well, it's and that nothing, will change. Well, it's going to change, but it's nothing in compared to some where some of the other places here. Like this story's uh, just over in Great Britain, you know. Uh, somewhere here that you know we usually think of as sort of very akin to us Americans, you know, mm-hmm. common heritage and whatnot. Right, a uh, civilized, free yes. world Western mm-hmm. country. Um, this article is from the Telegraph UK by David Harrison. A police community support officer ordered two Christian preachers to stop handing out gospel leaflets in a predominantly Muslim area of Birmingham, England. The evangelists say that they were threatened with arrest for committing a hate crime and were told they risked being beaten up if they returned. The incident will fuel fears that no-go areas for Christians are emerging in British towns and cities, as the Reverend, Right Reverend, R.T., Right Reverend, Michael Nazir Ali, the Bishop of Rochester, claimed in the Sunday Telegraph this year. Arthur Cunningham, 48, and Joseph Abraham, 65, both full-time evangelical ministers, have launched legal action against West Midlands police, claiming the officer infringed their right to profess their religion. Mr. Abraham said, I couldn't believe this was happening in Britain. 
the Bishop of Rochester, was criticized by the Church of England recently when he said there were no-go areas in Britain, but he was right. There are certainly no-go areas for Christians who want to share the gospel. Last night, Christian campaigners described the officer's behavior as deeply alarming. The preachers, both ministers in Birmingham, were handing out leaflets on Alum Rock Road in February when they started talking to four Asian youths. A police community support officer, a PCSO, I guess as they're called here in England because it gives the, uh, mm-hmm. gives the abbreviation there in the article, interrupted the conversation and began questioning the ministers about their beliefs. They said when the officer realized they were American, although both had lived in Britain for many, many years, he launched a tirade against President Bush in the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. Mr. Cunningham said, I told him that this had nothing to do with the gospel we were preaching, but he became very aggressive. He said we were in a Muslim area and were not allowed to spread our Christian message. He was said we were committed at committing a hate crime by telling the youths to, leave, youths to leave Islam and said that he was going to take us to the police station. The preacher refused to give the PCSO his address because he felt the officer's manner was threatening and intimidating. Wow. That's the beginning of the end. Yeah, that's. Got uh, a little more to add there. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, got a got another another couple sentences here, but that's in Great Britain, folks. I mean, come on. The ministers claim he was also advised not. He also advised them not to return to the area. As he walked away, the PCSO said, "You have been warned. If you come back here and get beaten up, will you have been warned?" West Midlands West Midlands police, who refused to p- apologize said the incident had been fully investigated and the officer would be given training in understanding hate crime and communication. Hmm. Wow. Well, there you have it, folks. Great Britain. They're clamping down. Uh, I mean, if there's certain places where you, you're not allowed to share the, share the gospel because there's some other religion there and you're not allowed, you know, what's the church going to do other than go to jail? Uh, they're going to go to jail. I mean, that's like the Islamic world. I mean, that's you sure. can't share it there. Actually, to be fair, even in Israel, you're not allowed to convert people, from what I understand. I've heard that, although I know some people do have Christian churches there. and you know, who knows? Yeah, but I, as far as like street converting, oh, kind of yeah. thing, I, from what I understand. Well, the difference is in Israel, I don't think they chop your head off. Yeah, I hope not. You never can tell these days. Yeah, yeah of course, they did you know, saw the prophets in two. Well, I'm not excusing Israel for their sins, yeah. certainly. Yeah. I just... I don't like seeing people being removed from their heads. Yes. Well, that is just so disturbing Yeah. that you cannot share your faith and, and, and have any kind of debate because it's considered a hate crime if you do that. Well, I tell you, I, I run across a story every couple months about the exact same thing happening in cities all across Canada. Well, Dr. Future predicts that in the next 18 to 24 months, that will be our situation here. I wouldn't be surprised. And I think there's something big a brewing, and it's... For example, if yeah. you go up to Detroit, where you have a large Arabic population, you have a large Islamic population, um, if you went into certain neighborhoods there, I bet you in 18 to 24 months, you'll be guilty of the same thing. Wow. And not just there. You know, there's other places in the country, yeah. same thing could be said. Yeah. That's uh, sad. I, I, this is extremely disturbing, and ladies and gentlemen, you we, we need to be proactive. The best thing to do is get a hold of your elected officials and... Get these hate crime laws clarified and yeah, they're, make they're sure that there is freedom of speech and a First Amendment. And I tell you, if you if if your country, whether you're in the U.S. or wherever, uh, turns over your sovereignty to supernatural entities, whether it's the North American Union or whatever, a lot of these freedoms we have, like the First Amendment, which you have to fight for to keep, 
will be moot at that point. Mm-hmm. And, and they'll say whatever they think is best to keep the peace, and that'll be the mm-hmm. end of the story. Yeah. Well, we'll be back. You know, a lot of Christians don't really think about all the um, – at length about what all went on with, with sharing the gospel and spreading the gospel throughout history. People were regularly killed and imprisoned. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was that? Ethiopian minister or Ethiopian soldier Maurice, he led a he led a band of Christians, and this was during the Roman Empire, hmm. before Christianity was official, the mm-hmm. official the Roman religion. They uh, uh, he said, look, you need to bow before Caesar. He said, we'll fight your wars, but we're not going to bow. Mm-hmm. So they lined all 600 people up and killed one out of every 10. Yeah, decimated. And then, it, then he said, okay, now bow. And he said, no, we're still not going to do it. So they went through it again, and they did that three times, and then ended up killing everybody. Yeah, yeah. You know, and well, I don't, I don't see that, I don't see that kind of thing happening. Yeah, you know, foreign missionaries mm-hmm. used to be concerned about what would happen to them if they, you know, went in headhunter area or things like that. Yeah, like now they we're going to killed. Well, yeah. now we're going to have home missionaries. They're going to be concerned about that. That's scary. You know, man. What if your child shares their faith or the fact that they went to? Uh, Vacation Bible school with the kids at school, and they mm-hmm. go back and say, "Here's yeah. what these kids told me." Oh Tossed no, it's a clink. I know yeah. it's a hate crime. That think you about that, folks. Well, and and don't just think about it. Um, start, start doing s- something. Start about sending it. information to. Yeah. Right now, there is hate crime legislation on our books that all this can be weaved in as part of it, unless we take a proactive action, and that's that's our charge to you. Uh, Brother Merv's going to share with us a little bit about how you can send some feedback to us. Uh, we know we let our hair down a little bit here on Fridays, even more so than Monday through Thursday. Yeah. But um, we would love to hear from you about any kind of topics you'd like to discuss, and let us know in an email if we can share your email. But Merv will tell you more about that. Yeah. So no further ado, Merv, uh, share with our listeners a little bit how they can find out more about our show and send us some feedback. Futurequake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. We hope this information is extremely useful for you as a listener and well and worth not, your time. And if not, at least entertaining. <laughs> yeah, we, we've got to go. We'll come back and have somebody important to talk to on here other than us uh, starting Monday. And we hope you really enjoy Future Quake. Listen to what Merv said. Send us some feedback. And until then, we hope the rest of your week is very bright. What do you Mahalo. Uh, yeah, same to you. And more of it. We'll see you next time. Yeah. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. 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 There are new dreams crowding out old realities. There's revolution sweeping in like a fresh new breeze. Let the old world make believe, blind to death.